Well, good morning, church. I'm excited for the day, Lord willing, if we ever get a building where I can say good morning, and then I'll say good afternoon, and then good evening, and we'll just hang a whole day together. That would be nice. As you see on our first slide here, we are going through the gospel according to Isaiah. And if you don't have a Bible, just put your hand up. We've got a couple Bibles in the back. I want to make sure that you have a Bible on you, or if your neighbor does have one, sit very close and you can look on. And we have been going the way of the cross, looking at the Old Testament and how the Old Testament's primary thing is revealing who God is. And that the people, both his people and the world, would know that he is God. And through that, there is this great theme of redemption. God is all about salvation and redemption. And the Old Testament points to and unfolds the cross. And we've been looking at the drama of redemption. And we have paused in a few books. We haven't looked at every book of the Old Testament. But we're stopping in Isaiah. What a beautiful book this is. And we are taking time, just two more weeks this week and next week, and just quickly kind of going, giving an overview of Isaiah Looking, I've been looking at one, chapters 1 through 39, just kind of getting this big picture of who God is and how he works. And then we will take some time, all the way probably till Christmas, looking at chapters 40 to 55. So I encourage you throughout the week, read over and over chapters, Isaiah chapters 40 through 55. It's so beautiful and spectacular. Before we begin, let's pray and just... Set our hearts and our tone right. Father, I ask that our understanding of your holiness today would be quickened as we look again at Isaiah 6. And Father, I ask that our minds would be freed to comprehend the beauty of who you are as we gaze upon the beauty of of Scripture again. And Lord, I ask that our hearts would be open to be able to behold and taste the greatness of your love. So Holy Spirit, do that amazing work you do in our hearts so we can see again more clearly the beauty of who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. If you haven't noticed, in the last 10 years, on most food packages, when you go to the store, there are labels of what's in it. And if you go to the side of the box or the container or the wrapper, it will say, this is the ingredients, and sometimes there's 50 different things, and you think, wow, should I really be eating that if it's 50 different things? That's why I'm a Frito guy. Corn, salt, and corn oil. Yummy. That's the very basics of life. But on the side, you'll have all this stuff, but in bold, if you're allergic to something, beware of it. You've seen that, correct? We have someone in our household that is gluten-free right now, so we make sure that we look and go, okay, we look at all the stuff, but if it's in bold, this may contain wheat, don't touch it. But let me state the obvious. Today I had cornflakes, okay? 
And on the side, it states the obvious. It's got all the ingredients. And then corn is used in this product. Really? I didn't know that. Sometimes we need, if you're kind of out there, sometimes we need people to state the obvious, right? I'm eating corn flakes. If I'm allergic to corn, I'm going to look, oh, there's corn in here. I shouldn't eat this, right? State the obvious. Sometimes we need the obvious stated, okay? If you have to work on your car and you have to jack it up, take a look at this picture. Would you use Jenga pieces to jack up your car? Some of you, Steve's already covering his face like, oh my, please let this not be real. No, Jordan, who's sitting over there, this is all set up. The car is not jacked up. We didn't do this. this. But you don't use little block Jenga pieces that kids use as a toy to protect yourself if you're working on it. Correct? State the obvious. Don't use Jenga pieces. In fact, we had another picture. My computer has some problems, so we didn't get to show this one. I was going to say, don't let a grandson of Steve Bush work on your car because the next picture is... Jordan sleeping, working on the car, and just, yeah, that was a joke. This is all set up. Here's another one. Take a look at the next picture. Wear sunscreen when you go on a mountain with Pastor Cody. Oh, sorry, John, your picture's up there, I know, but look at us. The mountain in the background we climbed last year, halfway up, we ran out of sunblock. Wow. This is what happens when you forget to wear sunblock on a mountain. I won't show you my neck right now, but wow, okay. State the obvious. When you go with Pastor Cody, do we have sunblock? Yes, we do. Now I bring tons of it with us. Here's one for you that have lived in Washington your whole life. Stating the obvious on this next picture. Take a look at it. That's stating the obvious, right? It's important sometimes to state the obvious. And that's what the Old Testament, the prophets do most times. The people are so wayward, they're so stuck in their own way, they're so caught up in something else, and the prophets come and say, people, I'm here to state the obvious. Wake up. And in the book of Isaiah, one of the great themes that we will see, again, we're just giving a big picture here, and then soon we will go very slowly through some of the chapters. The great theme and struggle to the people are this. God's great transcendent glory, full of fame, worthy to be praised against man's stubborn pride. And these two come together and meet. Stating the obvious needs to be done. There is corn in cornflakes. But when it comes to Christianity, what's the obvious? Here's one obvious thing. Christianity is not defined by works, outward appearance, or going to church. For some of you that have been brought up and ingrained in the church your whole life, Christianity is not defined upon works, what you do, going to church, or your outward appearance. Or as Keith Green, anybody remember who Keith Green was? Just because you go to McDonald's doesn't make you a hamburger, was his line, stating the obvious. Just going to church, 
putting on a tie, looking all religious and right, does not make you a Christian. Take a look at this quote here by N.T. Wright. This is great. Christians are not defined by their skin color, by gender, or where you live, your geographical location, or even, shockingly, by their good behavior. They are defined in terms of the God they worship. All other definitions of the church are open to distortion. We need theology, we need doctrine, because if we don't have it, something else will come and take its place. Any other defining marks of the church will move us in the direction of idolatry. Then the next slide says this. Christianity is defined in terms of our God and how he has revealed himself to us. Please write that down if you're by-the-book kind of a person. Because if you're a kind of book-by-the-person, you like to just get everything, mark it all down so you got it right, it's so easy for us to then slip into legalism, slip into say, look, I've got it right. I've done it myself. And we forget that Christianity is not based upon anything of what we do. It's based upon all that he has done. Amen? Christianity is defined in terms of our God and how he has revealed himself to us. And in the book of Isaiah, we get to see this grand, amazing picture of the Lord. The next slide, as you see, I've mentioned this a few weeks ago. The core thing about the book of Isaiah is this. God saves sinners. And we will see in the next few weeks, the next months, this aspect of the Trinitarian aspect in the book of Isaiah, that the Father in the book of Isaiah decides in advance and sovereignly plans salvation. The Son in the book of Isaiah is the coming fulfillment of the Father's redemption. And the Spirit in the book of Isaiah executes the purpose of the Father and the Son by renewing God's people. So turn to the book of Isaiah, and we'll look again at chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. Last Sunday night, it was pretty late when I finally got in bed, and I just laid there going, this was one of the greatest Sundays of my life. Last Sunday, we got to catch a glimpse of this first part, if you remember that. It was beautiful. And then we had the baptism. Over 50 of you showed up for it. What a great time to celebrate what Christ has done in three of our friends' lives. How can you beat Sundays like that? But again today, we get to look in Isaiah chapter 6. Last week we covered, as you see on the slide, this great concept of the holiness of God. So I'm going to read what we covered, and then today we're just going to look at two verses that sometimes get skipped because the first part is so grand that we have to have it all. So get your Bibles. 
Isaiah chapter 6, starting with verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Verse 5. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he, took, which he had taken from the, with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Isaiah gets this grand view of God. He is completely other. He is completely transcendent from what we live in and what we understand him to be. And in this chapter, in this section, I have in the last 10 years fallen in love with this section because it portrays something very important to me. There are three words I want to study the rest of my life in the Bible. There's a bunch of chapters I want to study. There's a bunch of books. But there are three words. In fact, I took a Bible one time and read through the whole Bible, and every time one of these three words showed up, I underlined it. And I just went through the whole Bible, and then I'm going through this Bible again and saying, where does this word show up? Why? How is it connected with the whole counsel of God? And these three words are holy. Number two, glory. And the third one, worship. Holy, glory, and worship. Why? Because I want my understanding of who God is to grow. And, let me be bold with you and say this. I want you in this church to have your sense of God grow greater and greater as you come here. This is pretty bold for me to say this. If it doesn't, leave this church. If you coming here and your sense of the wonder and the beauty and the oneness of God does not grow, if you don't grow in your sense of God, please leave. You don't hear pastors say that often. In fact, if most pastors would say that, in my opinion, most people leave their churches. Because a lot of churches don't even talk about the greatness and the wonder of God. I want my understanding of who God is to grow often, moment by moment. Amen? So, here's your ticket out if you want, but don't use it as an excuse. 
to leave the church because I don't like this church. Because I'm going to be one who presses you. And hopefully, when you leave, you just go, yes, that's the God I want to worship. So here's a question. When I say worship, what comes to your mind? Some of you may picture Pastor John. When you think of worship, you think of Pastor John. And Pastor John's going, I hope not. What comes to your mind when you think of worship? Here's a phrase I use often in this church. Our church is all about worship. Not style of worship, but object of worship. Some of you are like, you say that all the time, good. I want you to remember that. Because your life should not be all about the style of worship. Your life should reflect God, the ultimate object of worship. Amen? So what comes to your mind when, you, when I say, what is worship? Really, it should be, what is biblical worship? What is biblical worship? Take a look at the next slide here. And as you know, I, I, I think about worship, and I, I look at Scripture a lot, and just I love to study worship in Scripture. And here is a definition, not the definitive definition of worship. In fact, I was working on this, tweaking it this week. Take a look at my definition as I've gone through Scripture. And in a couple years, this will tweak, this will grow. It will be paragraphs. Maybe it will be a book someday that you can help write. We don't have to because there's a book already written about it right here in my hands, right? So here is my definition of worship. A definition. Worship is a right understanding. Again, So many people get a wrong understanding of who God is. They put their own thoughts into it and and their own doctrine, and they think, well, let's make God more comfortable for me. Let me paint him this way. Again, it begins with, worship is a right understanding. It must come from here, this book. It is a right understanding and a right or proper response. Some people say, well, I can worship any way I want. Well, God has certain parameters. It is a right understanding and a right response. In this, I put, it must reflect a proper view of God. Does that make sense? Worship is a right understanding and a right response to God and his character, his actions, and his promises. Because there are times when I worship the Lord, I worship Him because what He has done, His actions, what He has done. I look at Exodus 14. I look at the Gospels. I look at the cross, which ultimately is all my worship is surrounded by that. A lot of times when I worship, it's because I look at the character of who God is that causes me to worship. And sometimes when I read in Scripture, both Old and New Testaments, I think of His promises that He has done and who will complete someday. It is the act of total commitment and spiritual devotion, giving glory to the Lord as a response to that which He has done in the cross. That is biblical worship. In chapter 6, we have seen some of the beauty of that. 
We see glimpses of even the cross in chapter 6. Sins being atoned for. This, you don't even know what to say when he sees the Lord and he says, woe is me. But then we move to the next few verses. Take a look at chapter 6 again. Verse 9 and 10. And he said, go and tell this people. This is exciting. Isaiah gets commissioned by the Lord to go out and preach the news. Go out and send good news out. Isaiah is commissioned by the Lord himself to say, all right, go tell the people something I have for them. Wouldn't that be great? Here it is. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and, their, and close their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Did you just hear what the Lord said? This doesn't make sense. Can you imagine if I woke up this morning, get ready, all right, Lord, I am ready to preach. I'm ready to preach the gospel. The Lord says, all right, preach a message they will not hear. Pray that their hearts get calloused. Uh, uh, Lord, that's not from you. Uh, maybe I ate too many cornflakes. What is happening here? Again, chapters 1 through 39, judgment. There are glimpses of hope and beauty. Chapter 6, chapter 12, there's some great aspects. Chapter 7, chapter 9. But the majority of chapters 1 through 39, judgment. They are going to be hardened to the message of God. Their eyes will not truly see because they have rejected the Lord already. They have been rebellious. They have turned already from the Lord. Their sinful and corrupt, rebellious hearts keep them from God. So the Lord says, fine. If they're going to be rebellious, if they're going to reject me, guess what? They will not understand or see who I am. This is judgment. The rebellious people will continue in the resistance to God, resulting in their inability to understand and respond to God and discern his will. God says this, since you've chosen this way, I'm giving you into this way. Since you've decided to turn against me, I will make sure that you will be against me. You will be a reflection of that which you have followed and revered. It's interesting that Jesus quoted this passage in Matthew 13. He was telling Israel, your spiritual perception and understanding are negated by your rejection of me, the Messiah. Because you've rejected me as Messiah, Israel, guess what? He quotes this passage. John reports this as a failure to the people for them to respond to the great message of who Jesus is in John 12. 
Paul uses this often, this passage, speaking of people and their failure because they have sinned and turned against God. But my question is this. How does this fit with worship? We, I mean, look at this passage. This is tough. You get this grand view of God. Verse 3, we should just taste every day. Lord, I want to see the beauty of who you are. Then we read John chapter 1. We have beheld the glory of who God is in Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 3, the veil has been removed. We see the beauty of who Jesus is. How could all this great worship, take a look at your Bibles, then verse 9, go and tell this people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. How does this fit with worship? This doesn't make sense. Some of you may think that the complete opposite of worship is what? What would be the complete opposite of worship? Some of you may say idolatry. Okay? The complete opposite of worship would be idolatry. Take a look at the next slide here. Idolatry is worship. Just false worship. Idolatry is worship, just false worship. That which is contrary to the word of God. Thus, the complete opposite of biblical worship is idolatry. And I would be bold enough to say this. The complete opposite of Christianity is not atheism, but idolatry. Wrong worship, false worship, not turning to Christ. God's only means of salvation. The book of Romans, I love Romans, speaks of this concept in two specific passages. So keep your finger there in Isaiah, and let's turn to Romans chapter 1. Worship. How does this deal with, how, how is this a part of worship? Romans 1, let's read this section. Let's just start with verse 18. Romans 1. Love this section of scripture. I got to start with verse 17. Let me jump ahead. Beware, I might already go to verse 1, but we'll just 17. For the gospel of, so, so for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Remember, you do nothing. You cannot earn your salvation. Verse 18. And verse chapter 118 all the way to 320 is this huge section in Romans. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of men. Here it is who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them, for since, creation, since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, have been clearly seen, 
being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him. But in their thinking, they became futile, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal men and birds and animals and reptiles. You see, worship, biblical worship, is all about this great picture of God where idolatry is just the opposite of that. Keep going, verse 24. Therefore... God gave them over in their sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. When you get the idea of who you are inflated more than it should be, when you think about yourself greater than it should be, it turns into this. The greatest idol today is self. The manipulative part of your character, the self-serving aspect is all about you. And God sees the people like that. I love how the verse says, he gave them over. And my picture is this. There's this stream, this river of just wickedness and selfishness and pride and all the things. And the people are in this. And he's held on to them for a while. And then finally says, fine. I'm going to let you go. And you're going to get sucked into it. Which is like what Isaiah is saying. You have been rebellious. Now your eyes will be covered over. Your hearts will be hardened. You will not understand. Turn to Romans 6. Romans 6, and we'll start with verse 15. Or let's go... Can I just read all of Romans 6? Again, think of this. We as people have this understanding that there is a God and we are ourselves, but we love to build our kingdoms. We love to do our ways. In Romans 6, the beauty of what God has done in salvation lives this out. Romans 6, starting with verse 15. What then? And this is kind of echoing what he says in verse 1. Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that when you offer yourselves to someone to obey him as slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, 
you wholeheartedly obeyed the form of the teaching which you were entrusted. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. So think of this. Just as a package has a label stating the obvious, let me state the obvious. Take a look at this slide. Everyone is enslaved to something or someone. Or stated another way, we are all made to worship. Plain and simple. Know this without a doubt. We're all made to worship. We're all made to worship someone or something. And we have two options. Worship sin, that leads to slavery, which leads to bondage, which leads to death. Or worship God, which leads to slavery to righteousness, which leads to freedom, which leads to life. Again, how does this fit with worship? We're all made to worship. Which one are you? Which one do you follow? Again, let's go back to Isaiah 6. How does this fit with worship? We get this great picture of worship in the first part of the Bible, in this chapter. Now, know this about the, the Old Testament. This is kind of interesting to get this big picture. I'm painting this big picture for you here. You have the children of Israel. They get a few kings, and then they decide the kingdom is divided. Remember, there's a bunch in the north, few in the south, okay? And then during this time, this is when the prophets go, hey, wake up, turn back to the Lord, turn back to the Lord. And then the Assyrians come, take the northern kingdom, and Isaiah is to the southern kingdom. And Isaiah is saying, look what happened to Israel, Judah. Look out, or you're gonna if you keep this up, you will be taken over. And the, all the people are like, no, we're not, because we're the holy ones. We're following all the rules, and we're all righteous, we're, we're fine. And Isaiah is saying, wake up. And then soon they get taken away. So there's this time of a few kings, the divided kingdom, then there's this huge exile. They're all taken away into captivity. And then after this, they all are released. Certain times, certain segments are released. And that's Ezra and Nehemiah. But listen to this. Before the exile, here are the offenses that they have before the Lord. Think of this. Before the exile, here are the three main offenses. Idolatry, social injustice, and ritualism. They have put idols and trusted other things instead of the Lord. They're so ritualistic and legalistic. Well, we've done this and this and this. We are perfect. And the third thing, social injustice. After the exile, what do the prophets primarily say? Their failure is to give honor to God. He has just freed you from exile. Give honor to him. Oh, we, it, was, it was just by chance. It's because we are good people. Foolish, foolish people. Because of that idolatry, that's why we have this passage here. Look at this. Again, look at Isaiah chapter 6. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. You can see, but you won't perceive what's happening. 
make the heart of this people callous, make their ears dull, close their eyes. What is he saying here? One of the big offenses is idolatry. So here's what the Lord is doing. Turn to Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Again, one of my favorite chapters in Scripture. Here is the right understanding and view that we should all have. In fact, back in the Middle Ages and before that, prior to the Shakespearean times, the English kings who knew Latin would say this first verse after any great victory. They would say this in Latin. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name be the glory because of your love and faithfulness. Love verse 2. Why do the nations say, where is their God? Verse 3 is great. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. He is great. Look out, world. He is grand and wonderful. Look at verse 4. But their idols are silver and gold, made by the hands of men. Their idols, he's talking about them here, they have mouths but cannot speak. They have eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Noses they cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel. They have feet but cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. That's an idol, right? Verse 8 is core to all of this. Gives us an understanding of Isaiah chapter 6, 9 through 10. Look at verse 8. Those who make them will be like them. And so will all who trust them. Those who make them will be like them. He's saying this. You will reflect that which you revere. Let me say that again. You will be like that which you worship. You will reflect that which you hold dear and revere. If you worship idols, guess what? You will not hear or see just like them. Or turn to Jeremiah. It's right after Isaiah. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5. Again, here's the prophet speaking to the people. You keep following these idols, guess what? You're going to end up just like them. Jeremiah chapter 2, verse 5. This is what the Lord says. What fault did your fathers find in me? that they strayed far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. Take a look at the next slide. We reflect that which we revere. We become like that which we worship. And here's a list. You worship money, you'll become a greedy person. And if that's what you worship, all you worship in the end, it will be death. You worship work, you'll become restless and a frantic person. And in the end, death. 
You worship items, you'll become a stealing person. You worship power, you'll become a corrupt person. You worship anger, you'll become a violent person. You worship people, you'll become a selfish and dependent person. You worship sex, you'll become a lustful and adulterous person. You worship success, you'll become a covetous person. You worship drugs, you'll become a depressed, just, you know, burnt out and fried out person. You worship Jesus, you'll become a Christ-like person. You become like that which you worship. We have all been designed to worship. You can worship all this other stuff or worship Jesus and become like him. Why worship God? He has just given us great reasons in verse 1 through 4, Isaiah 6. And here it is. He is looking, and this might be the next slide here, he is looking for an external action that reflects the internal attitude. God must be the center of all things. And this is the wake-up call in Isaiah. He demands exclusive and total devotion. He has to be the highest thing you value. And you've heard me say this before. God must be number one, number two, number three, number four, and number five. My wife is number six. If she is number two, there's times where God's number one, Amber's number two, oh, they get too close together, and I don't know the difference. You know, you know what I'm talking about. So many things can replace God. He must be exclusive. So in this time of Isaiah, there is idolatry happening. Idolatry is not just an external issue. It's an issue of the heart. He's looking for an external action that reflects this internal understanding of who he is. It's placing someone or something greater or higher than God. It's humanity's way of rejecting a heavenly reality and only embracing the earthly. Anything that replaces God is an idol. And we will see this as we go through chapters 40 through 55. It's interesting that we no longer bow down to images. How many of you have ever seen someone bow down to an image? I have. I've been overseas and I've even seen it here. We don't have idols and stuff, but we do have influences of other cultures in the area here. We have the Asian influence around, and some of the Asian cultures do have idols, and I've seen some of them around here. But we don't have bow down to images like we see in the Old Testament. Instead, today, we worship the God of self. We worship the God of self. All idolatry of self has at its core three main lusts. Turn to 1 John 2.16. Take a look at this. And we'll look more at idolatry as we look at specific passages here. But take a look at this passage. 1 John 2.16. And think about how the idolatry of self can manifest itself in these ways. Listen to this. For all that is in the world, 1 John 2.16, I'll give you some time to get there. As some of you are turning, let me just say this. Idolatry of self can be manifested in many ways. 
Again, you're turning to 1 John 2.16. It can manifest in hobbies, job, people, money, power, fame, technology, food, religious views, political systems, entertainment. Listen to this verse. For all that is in the world, number one, the lust of the flesh, number two, the lust of the eyes, and number three, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but of the world. Those three things are so evident today, are they not? And we will see this as we look again in the next couple of weeks. All the things that can take over, your job, your family, entertainment, exercise, all this stuff can be an idol. These things are not bad in themselves, but they can corrupt worship. Physical exercise is important, right? Yes, it is. I work out, not as much as I should, but I do it more, not in the gym, but on the mountains and when I hike. And I just work out as much as I can. I sweat. and It's important. Physical training is, is of some value. But what's of greater value? Godliness is of greater value. These things can corrupt worship. Most idols are a perversion of the good. The hard truth is, is we can be lured into worshiping something else than the living God. So take a look, and we're going to end with these three things, or there's four things I have on the slide. What do we do with the things that we spend most time in? Do you spend more time in this than on the Internet, researching things that you're interested about? Some of you have hobbies that you look up online, some of the things you study, some of the things on the internet you believe, and I laugh at because I do too sometimes. What? That's oh, okay. Do you spend more time on the internet or in the Word of God? I would say this I'm not here to step on your toes, I'm here to help take the shackles off. Take a week off from the internet if that's you, and just soak in the beauty of this book. What do you spend the most time in? What do you have the most affection for? If you walk into my house or you spend a day with me in my house, what do you think I would be most excited about? My books, because I love books. My kids, my family, my little hobbies I have. What do you have your most affection for? What controls your thoughts and energies when hard times come? What is the top of your value system? In view of who God is, take a look at this list. Repent and confess your sins. For those of you my age and older, that's hard to do. Why is it, look at my pocket, why is it little kids can just come up and go, here's prayer requests I have for you. But some of you, yeah, I got prayer requests, but don't worry about it. Why is it little kids, here, please, let's pray. But some of you, um, fine, got issues, but Lord will take care of them. We, as we get older, it's harder for us to just, Lord, help me. So repent and confess sins. The next one, look at these positives. Christian is not, not all natives. Repent, turn or burn, give it up. You gotta suffer. Get that tie a little tighter, Pastor Cody. 
Christianity is beautiful and glorious. Fear the Lord. See the beauty of who he is in this book. Read it over and over and just get, oh, I love this. And you can find that even in the book of Leviticus, right? Yes. Read Romans over and over again and go, no wonder Pastor Cody loves Romans. Fear the Lord. Idols will just be gone. You'll laugh at the foolish things you trust in. Love the Lord with all your heart, your strength, with every fiber that you have. Make him number one priority so much that when you walk around, people notice it. And the, the last one, delight in God. In reality, sin and idols are delighting in something other than God. Think of that. Sin and idolatry is delighting in something other than who he is. So your life should all be about delighting in him. Every day saying, I need you, I need you, and I delight in you. And when we savor that beauty, when we delight in him, it does wonders to your life. A few of us this last week climbed to climb halfway up Rainier to Camp Mirror. We worked our way up there, took some pictures, and we're like, we got it. We're a little bit beyond our turnaround time. We got to get down. We slid down and had fun. It was great. And when we got down, we're like, we need food. We weren't really that hungry, but I knew our bodies needed food. So we went to a place, believe this or not, I ate salads, (laughs) beans, fruit, and a nice steak. I had a little, you know, it wasn't a big steak, but just, I needed nutrition. I saw the fried chicken that was there. I was like, oh, that was really good. But I said no and went and got strawberries instead. My body needed that after what we did. Your body, spiritually, your soul, needs the beauty of who God is. Why waste your time on the things that just make you sluggish and lead you to idolatry and death. Turn to the beauty of God, delight in him, and daily say, I need you. Show me who you are. Let's pray.